the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Good morning. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. 800-516-1220. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. You can find me online at rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. So let's talk about the markets today, what we're seeing. The ECB kept its key lending rate at a record low, one quarter of 1%. So right out of the gate, when we open up to the U.S. markets, we're looking at the foreign markets. Need, I say, more monetary policy seems to be the driving force of world economies or world stock markets. Maybe that's the better way of saying it. Costco reported a surprise earnings miss coming up 12 cents shy of capital expectations. February same-store sales were up 2%, which is below the 2.8% retail metrics consensus estimate. Staples missed by 6 cents and issued a first quarter 2014 guidance that is below current expectations. Staples is kind of suffering a little bit of what Radio Shack is suffering. A whole Amazon.com. We don't really need stores anymore, especially if you're going to deliver it to my office. Thank you. So Staples cutting 225 stores, shutting them down. I've been in Staples, and this is my opinion, and this is not, I guess, solicited from you, but if you don't like it, turn off the station. They feel like big football mausoleums. It's just this huge amount of space with a lot of items that I can't imagine people actually buy. But it's okay. Uh, you know, I'll go with it. Costco had some problems because they don't want to raise prices. So Staples has problems because they have to compete with Amazon and they have to compete with Costco. Costco's got a business division that's pretty robust. Costco reported their numbers, and ultimately they're having problems with food costs, and they don't want to pass it on to you. You know, a Costco customer kind of expects pretty deep discount. So Costco's trying to figure out, okay, maybe we could offer tires cheaper. Maybe we could offer some of the higher-end things in our store cheaper and not cut the price of the food. So they're struggling. It's interesting to note, again, is this the end-all, be-all conversation of 2014 that you have to walk away from and say, you know, the Internet's displacing things quickly? If you aren't seeing that... You know, with the streaming of ABC, uh, potentially, to Dish Network's customers, that just, that, it's mind-boggling. So, that whole industry of broadcast is changing pretty fast now, too. Initial claims, first-time unemployment claims came out today. 
But it came in at a number of 323,000. That's not bad. Now, the first time unemployment claims also coincided with strong winter storms, implying that layoffs were either deferred or individuals lay off were unable to go down to their unemployment office and make a claim. Continuing claims dropped by 8,000 2.9 million Americans. Fourth quarter productivity was revised down to 1.8%. Productivity is important. That's not good news. So when you see a revision down, um, we need workers who are out there doing more so that corporate profits stay where they are. And then once that productivity number can't be expanded, that's when corporations tend to go out and hire. Unit labor costs declined by one-tenth of a percent um, in the data. Uh, versus originally expected drop of 1.6%. So, again, there was improvement here at the end result of the increase in hourly compensation. So there was a little mixed data this morning, but I would say slightly down. The Parliament Parliament of Crimea voted in favor of joining Russia and plans to hold a referendum on the matter in mid-March. This should create create quite a diplomatic political. So um, political rhetoric sounding Ukraine the whole political rhetoric coming out of it, um, it's going to remain pretty fiery. It's, you know, when they say that they may want to join Russia and leave Ukraine by mid-March, it tells you that there's probably going to be another week or two at least, at least of these type of headlines. ECB president, European Central Bank president, Mario Draghi, so he is the Janet Yellen of Europe, um, Anytime I hear Draghi, you know, I just think, automatically think, you know, bad guy, right? Russian bad guy, boxer, Rocky. I know you're saying that's Drago, but it's close enough. Maybe it's his brother. He basically said the central bank could take a further decisive action if required. So, again, monetary policy is kind of important out there. Monetary policy being the cost of money. You tend to make it cheaper when you want to stimulate the economy. You tend to make the cost of money more expensive when you want to slow down the economy. Taking a look at uh, the numbers today. Let's see where we are. The SP 500's up 6, the Dow's up 75, the NASDAQ up 8. Is this bull market old? Is it starting to wither? Um, good questions. Uh, Carl Icahn is talking eBay today. Again, that seems to be not going away in any way, shape, or form, right? Pandora had some bad metrics and usage numbers. Their shares are down big today. You might know that there's not a lot of barriers to entry in streaming content. And Pandora announced listening hours of the month were $1.5 billion versus a year ago, up 9%. That's good. Over the past four months, though, listening hours have decelerated, and that's the trend. So competition from Spotify, Apple's iTunes, Google has a radio service, iHeartRadio, and others may be eating in the company's listening audience. Pandora's share of total U.S. radio listening in the month was up from 8.2% to 8.9%. The company said they had 75.3 million active listeners, up 11% year over year. But now, this is where Pandora kind of took the... What's the word that I don't upset people with? took the easy way out. 
They intend to discontinue its monthly disclosure of key audience metrics. The final monthly release will be provided in June 2014. The company's standard practice of providing listeners metrics on a quarterly basis will continue to unchanged. So, quarterly they could still show some uh, growth, but monthly they're kind of freaked out by the competition potentially disrupting them. Pandora has recently been working on expanding its in-car opportunities. At the CES show in January, Pandora unveiled an in-car advertising to offer advertisers better targeted ads and get a better return on investment. So competition's pretty fierce there. And if you've ever looked at, looked at what artists are being paid for streaming songs, it's pretty pitiful. So you're seeing people get checks for royalties of like $12 when someone's listening to music 14 million times. Not someone, but 14 million people in theory. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Again, the market numbers, positive. Record territory, right? SP 500 up 4 to 1878. The Dow up 68, so 16,428. The NASDAQ having a nice day as well. Up 3. At 4361. It's Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Come or call 1 800 Listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. There's a pretty big problem out there. And what is that pretty big problem? It's the way labor is playing out in people under 30, maybe even people under 35. The jobless rate of Americans ages 25 to 34 who have been completed high school grew 4.3%, recently to 10.6%. So, jobless rate for Americans aged 25 to 34 who only have high school degree, it sits at 10.6%, well above unemployment in America. Unemployment for those in that same age group with a college degree, it fell to 3.7%. So, the college degree jobs, or the college degree individuals, are taking the jobs from the high school educated. So, they're taking low-paying jobs because that's all that's out there. You may have a degree in history. You want to be a history teacher, but there's no history jobs. So what do you do? You take a job as a bartender. You take that job from a bartender who was a high school educated. It's not interesting to watch. It's kind of tragic because the ramifications will play out 20 to 30 years from now. Let's take a quick look at the market numbers. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. The SP 500 up four, the Dow up seventy, the Nasdaq up four. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. He's on the show on a regular basis. You can always find him at NewFocusFinancial.com. A lot of people want to hire CFPs, and I know one of the questions that you ask is, how much money do you have in stocks, bonds? What's your house worth? How much income do you have? How much income will you need in retirement? But one of the lines in your forms is, 
how much do you have in stock options? In the Bay Area, a lot of people are wealthy on stock options. Let's talk a little bit about planning with stock options. Well, yeah, stock options are, you know, have been a historically a pretty successful way to build wealth in the Bay Area, but they're one of the hardest things to plan for. And you have so many different, there's, there's restricted stock options or RSUs. They're just grants that vest over time. Um, there's incentive stock options and non-qualified stock options. And the first step when it comes to stock options is, is teaching a person to treat them as income. Because really all they are is the company can't afford to pay you what they think you're worth necessarily. They want you to work harder so that you have future benefit in the company's share appreciation. So you've got to learn to treat your stock options as, as income. Don't treat it as a nest egg. Don't treat it as a home run. Don't treat it as anything but, like you said, you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket in retirement. Therefore, you have to diversify out of your stock options because they are income. Yeah, and, and especially you know if you're younger and you you get up to ten to fifteen percent of your net worth in these leveraged options and they don't expire for a long period of time and you think the company's doing extremely well, then fine. But even after that, there there comes a point where you've got to make the decision that as the option ages, the leverage drops and the downside risk is higher than the upside risk. And so really what, what we do is keep a spreadsheet that shows, you know, here's the value of the stock, here's the strike price on the option, and any time that difference will still net you an 8 to 10% rate of return even after you pay Uncle Sam, that's when you know the trigger points are starting to hit and you should start diversifying. So if you're in your 50s, you need to, you know, start getting to the point where less than 5 to 10% of your portfolio is in your company options. Um, and that number is a little lower in your 30s. You could do 15% if you're really super aggressive because you've got time to, to deal with the fact that you know, if the company goes upside down and your options are worthless, you've got time to make that up. And the way to look at it is your company, they already pay for your house, your car. They're already such a big portion of your, your income and your, your light daily costs that you can't have all your eggs in that one basket. Because sometimes companies do fail. Uh, WorldCom comes to mind, Enron comes to mind, so be careful on stock options. Well, yeah, and, and then also we're starting to see incentive stock options being granted again. Um, that's one of those, we saw a lot of those in 1998, 1999, where people exercise them, and the idea with incentive stock options, if you if they've longer than two years from grant or one year since you've exercised them, if you exercise and hold them, you can eventually get qualified for capital gains treatment. But they're subject to AMT, so what happens is people... If they exercise too late in the year and they try to hold them, they could exercise late in one year, owe a huge AMT tax, and the company fails the next year, and you can't go bankrupt with Uncle Sam. You just can't. Um, so if you're doing incentive stock options, you've really got to plan very carefully for those, run a lot of models, realize the AMT tax, and if you're going to exercise and hold them, you've got to do it real early in the year, like the first few weeks of January, so that you have a whole year to be able to avoid the AMT um, by selling them early. It helps having a financial planner run the scenario for you or your own accountant run some scenarios for you. you, you got to have both. Okay. I mean, because to run those different scenarios, you need the you know, pretty extensive tax software. And so the financial planner can come up with the strategies and the what-if scenarios, and then you have the CPA or the enrolled agent run it through the models based on all the other issues, which is you know, how much property taxes you pay can also throw you into AMT, how many other deductions can throw you into AMT. There's, there's, there's a lot of issues. Managing your tax load is just as important as managing your insurance and your investments. Uh, anything else that we need to know about stock options? Well, then it kind of goes into ESPPs, which is the same deal. Um, the taxation is a little bit different, but what I tell people is, if again they're they're over 10% in their their company stock and they're still buying the ESPPs for the discount, which makes sense financially in most in most good companies. 
Um, once those are two years old, make sure you have a plan once they reach that two-year period, which is the qualifying date for most plans that are 18 months to two years, start selling those systematically and reinvesting them into something else. And again, 2012, capital gains tax 15%. 2013, 20% or higher. Right. So the tax laws change on a regular basis. People need to be aware of that. Right. Especially uh, you know, when you're sitting on a large sum of money. It's funny. I used to think of stock options as that person's sexy because you got stock options. Mm-hmm. The early 2000s and 90s were very good to say that you had stock options. Lots of option grants and free BMWs back then. Absolutely. A lot of people would convert and go and splurge on a car, which is something you should avoid doing because cars are depreciating assets. Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, just the idea of treating it as income and, and don't be afraid of taxes. Taxes are going to be there if it's a success, successful situation. So um, you pay taxes when you have success, and you just have to plan to pay the least amount of taxes but still keep the most amount of your net worth. I would argue that the estate tax is not success. <laughs> the estate? You die, you owe tax. But then again, you were successful in your life, so I see what you're saying. That's Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I always have some events coming up. I've got one coming up for sure at the end of March. You can always learn more about the events. This one's going to be 10 Pillars of Retirement Planning. You can learn more about that at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Don't be shy. To get your calls on the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. One of the things that we're going to see this year and next year in particular is more and more health wearables, things that monitor your heart rate. There was a story that I talked about a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, probably a better way of saying that, that talked about Apple potentially being able to, you know, have a you know, heartbeat monitor on you on a watch and being able to predict a heart attack. That would be pretty cool. 600,000 Americans uh, could probably be saved per year. Now, what's that do to our economy? That's a ramification in the insurance industry and much, much more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give me a call. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Coming up, Deborah Portchart from thestreet.com, and I will be talking. And real-time traffic. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. Joining me now, Deborah Portchart. Deborah Portchart from the Streets Market Analyst. How are you today, Deborah? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. A little tongue-tied. I've been throwing out bad words, uh, chopping my words a little bit, but that's okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you're working on at the street these days. I know you've recently done a lot of work on Russia. Let's talk Russia, Ukraine, and U.S. markets and U.S. consumers. What are you working on? Well, it certainly is an ever-changing picture because it, it seems to be 
changing by the hour. And the latest we got from the State Department was that President Obama had issued a visa ban uh, for anyone uh, associated with the Ukraine-Russian crisis. So I don't know how many people that will really affect, but it's a little bit more saber-rattling. And uh, they also said that they were going to put some economic sanctions or, you know, some freezing of assets and properties of people associated with this crisis. Although it would be kind of hard to you know, know who who you would target. Um, but that's that's been the latest one this morning. Um, we know that they are meeting over in Italy right now, um, all the powers that be to discuss the situation. Um, the, the scuttlebutt is that they're talking about trying to come up with an exit strategy, an off-ramp, if you will, for Putin to kind of back down from this situation and still save face. They don't, you know, one of the things that's being talked about is sending in some kind of uh, international observer, and that would allow him to, you know, back down. Um, here's the thing. It's, it's kind of an interesting uh, situation, and, you know, a lot of people say, well, maybe, you know, Putin is crazy like a fox, and he could be because he was giving Ukraine lots of money to help them out. And when he made this kind of aggressive move, we stepped up and said, you know what, we'll give the Ukraine some money so that they're not dependent on Russia. And they haven't moved their soldiers one bit, and they may never move their soldiers one bit. And so we could end up subsidizing this country for him. And he desperately needs this piece of real estate because he's a petro-economy. The country is absolutely dependent on petroleum dollars. His only warm water port is through Crimea. So he's going to protect that port at any cost, doesn't care what the rest of the world says or what the rest of the world thinks, because he is so desperate to protect this piece of real estate. And now we're going to help him pay for it. Lovely. What is I know, right? <laughs> What's the real cost to the average American? On Monday morning, we came into work, and we kind of had this crisis hit us where the previous Monday, no one was talking about it. How long will this stick around, and and what does the average person need to invest in it, per se? You know, it's really interesting because... Many people had thought that this um, crisis would affect the market for more days than it did. And as you noted, on Monday we had a a big sell-off, and then it seemed like right after that we recovered most of those losses, um, and it seemed to be over very quickly. I think most of the market realized we were not going to go in there with guns blazing. We were not going to put troops on the ground. Uh, We weren't even going to send in drones or anything. We were just going to stand back. And when I think the most of people realized that, that this was not going to be an armed confrontation, that it was just going to be a lot of words, they recovered those trades. So that's why you saw a lot of buying back, because the people that bet the crisis was going to be ongoing shorted the market, and they had to go in and cover those shorts. Um, Right now, uh, we did see initially some moves on the commodity side. We saw moves up in wheat because Ukraine is a big wheat and corn producer. Um, But again, now we're not seeing that that could be affected. Uh, We saw natural gas prices raise up. And in in fact, John Boehner has come out and said he wants to uh, prepare us to export more natural gas. Uh, So there, there are some movements in the commodity side as a result of this, but I don't know if they're going to be long-lived. So 
Let's take a different angle and say, is this a win for President Barack Obama? Is this a win for Vladimir Putin? Is this an election year story that we really shouldn't, again, we who are not involved in the market on a day-by-day basis, the people are driving to work right now, should they just drop it from their their thoughts and and move on? Because it's probably not going to go anywhere. I think I, I think you're right. I think it's similar to what we saw when we talked about Greece and Turkey and Portugal for a year, and it never really truly affected our markets, but it was good headline noise, and it, and it made the market seesaw back and forth. I think you're going to see that same story play out here, where one day an incident may happen, someone accidentally gets shot or something, and, and tempers will rise um, and, and tensions will flare, and then we'll see the market pull back, and then two days later it will have recovered. And, and I think that that's what we're going to see is a repeat of what we saw with Greece, where everybody kept saying, but Greece, that doesn't really affect us. There's no connection here between us and Greece. And yet it, it flip-flopped our markets back and forth for, for months, if not an entire year. And I think that that's what we'll start to see. I think that everybody that made those trades into natural gas will be very happy here because they, a lot of people got into the natural gas market, you know, a few years back and it never panned out and they got disgruntled and left. Well, that, you know, now natural gas has gotten into the five and six dollar range, so that's really recovered nicely. And I think that that's probably where you'll see um, a lot of activity. And I think that you may continue to see some activity in the grains um, in the wheat and corn area just because of these tensions there. Um, and then, I, you know, I really think that the safe haven play, the gold play, I think that's really played out. I don't really think you're going to see anything more on the gold side um, as a result of this. Anything else that we need to know about the Russia tensions in the Ukraine at this point in time? Well, you know, I think that if you look back at what happened in Georgia, you get a good picture of what will probably happen here. And if if many people don't recall what happened in Georgia, it was a very similar situation uh, where he went up to the borders and across with his tanks, and everybody got very angry and said, "Get the back, get get back, get back across the line." And um, it was the same situation where. Putin was giving Georgia tons and tons of money and then went in. We said, don't do that. Back up. We'll give him tons and tons of money. We did so, and he never left. (laughs) So we effectively ended up subsidizing Georgia for him. Um, I think you'll see that play out here, too. I think that we will end up subsidizing Ukraine, um, whose financial picture is a mess, an absolute horror show. And, you know, he'll, he'll be, you know... He's crazy like a fox. He'll be sitting back with his soldiers still in place <laughs> and us paying the bill instead of him. I dig your perspective and your almost humor and insight into America basically paying to play this one out. What about American companies like Exxon, big international companies that do business with Russia? Should the average investor call up their broker and say, you know what, this Putin guy is a little crazy. I kind of want to cut back my exposure to anything Russia. Or do you think Russia will long-term be a great place to invest, per se, and skip over the Putin effect? Nah, definitely I would stay away from any Russian uh, trading plays. Uh, Exxon is a big Russian player. Um, 
there, there are definitely ways you could get around that, where is if you pulled away from a company like that that has some Russian exposure and went more with, um, again, the natural gas plays, uh, they have moved, but they, there could still be some room there. Um, that is certainly a, a way to go. Uh, Bank-wise, Citigroup has a little bit of Russian exposure, but really not enough to, to concern anyone. Most of the Russian exposure is on European banks, not necessarily us. So I don't think that that's um, an issue. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say that if, if you're really looking for something, that's probably – um, the best way to go about that is, is to perhaps look at the natural gas. Thanks very much. As always, insightful. Uh, Deborah Borchart from thestreet.com. You can find the website, thestreet.com. She spent 15 years at Bear Stearns. She's got some financial perspective as well as journalism perspective that's kind of merging all together. I did enjoy the angle that it was almost a cynical laugh when she snickered that the United States is subsidizing Putin's way out of this. Uh, by basically throwing money at the Ukraine, and Ukraine is a big you know, client of Russia's, per se, in natural gas and other fossil fuels. Anyhow, that was good stuff. Um, my takeaway, don't get too caught up in it. Don't get too stressed by it. Uh, don't necessarily invest in Putin's Russia. Uh, we saw Why Not a couple years ago with Yukos, where it was a publicly traded company. The world was developing it. And Putin goes, I like that. I think I'll take that for myself. Um, it's going to be an interesting couple of years following the whole Putin, how long can he stay in power? He's been very, very good at figuring out how to stay in power. And uh, as an investor, probably not very investor-friendly. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Again, Deborah Borchart from thestreet.com. Employees are shelling out 28% more for workplace health benefits than just three years ago. Um, that's a pretty big inflation rise, right? That's one of the things you have to try to fight in the world of saving for retirement. Health insurance costs $1,200 more. Workers are seeing premiums rise year over year, going up by 19% on average since 2011. Companies, meanwhile, are paying 14% more for their share of the premiums than they did in 2011. They're seeking to shift that expense to their employees. Employees' wages aren't going up 12, 14, 15, 16%. So that's one of the reasons why you want to invest in the healthcare sector. It's ludicrous that I could say that, but costs continue to rise, right? Um, I can tell you mine have. So employees are shouldering 37% of the total cost. Their benefits up from 34% three years ago. To get your calls in there, it's 800-516-1220. AM 1220, KDOW. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220, KDOW. So I want to throw this out there that there's a lot of change happening in the world of finance and money. Some new lenders are jumping into the subprime personal loan market, wooing consumers with flawed credit who have been neglected since the financial crisis. Should you lend money to someone who's got an awful credit score, someone who's failed on loans in the past, 
or not. Consumer loans and credit cards to people with credit scores below 660, which is considered subprime, um, peaked at $87 billion in 2006. Then it dropped to a low of $28 billion in 2010. Now, it started to climb back up. Now, again, this is probably above me morally for me to even talk about. Like, is it right to lend to people with bad credit? Why not lend to people with bad credit? They probably need it the most. But there's a risk-reward angle, and it's one of the reasons I like financials. Seriously, if you were to say, would you own Wells Fargo? Yeah. Hell yeah, I would. Would I own Bank of America? Yeah. For the long-term patient investor, I think you'll do well. Less so than in the 90s, but I think you'll still do well. Banks aren't stupid. They look at your credit score. They look at your job. Uh, they look at what type of loans you missed in the past, if you missed funding something. So now you're starting to see, and again, they, they take that risk and they'll go, okay, the guy who makes $10 an hour who missed a mortgage payment, we'll give him a loan, but it's going to be at 9-10%. The guy who makes $300,000 a year has never missed a mortgage payment, we'll give him a loan at 4%. That's one of the reasons that I tell you to, as parents, please make sure your kids come out of college at least with a strong credit score. Don't let them mess up their financial future in college, because trust me, it happens. Um, It could be, you know, too much debt and they stop paying their bills. That's going to hurt them for seven years, if not longer. So you have to be alert of the trade-off between serving consumers and taking advantage of them. And again, that's not my pay grade per se. Just talk about the moral issues tied towards it. I will tell you that some companies like Lending Club, they're changing subprime to near prime. And they are disrupting Wall Street on some levels. Lending Club bets borrowers that post their loan requests online. And it allows you to lend money to someone with a bad credit score. And maybe you'll get 10% on your money. Maybe you'll get 8%. Maybe you'll get 6%. But it's not regulated, and I don't think you should be loaning money out to people in subprime categories because I think the risk of failure is high. Now, again, I'm not a big lending club kind of guy or a peer-to-peer. If that's what you want to do, go for it. It's just not me. I see the risks in it, and I don't think risks – I think risk and rewards need to be managed. And I think people should be careful how much they take on. Anyhow, I'm totally – once again, digressing. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, I do appreciate it. Thanks for supporting the show. Um, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. How about this one? This one's kind of crazy. Mom, dad, daughter accused of a $7 million shoplifting spree. Well, that's one way of getting by, right? It lasted 10 plus years. Now, hold on. This is the craziest part about it. $7 million. When is enough enough? They targeted dolls, toys, cosmetics, and other valuables. The three were arrested earlier this week at their $1.3 million Northbrook home after returning from a three-day trip through Oklahoma, where they shoplifted from stores. They work in tandem. The family traveled from the Chicago area residents to hit businesses in multiple states including Maryland. So they went all the way from Illinois to Maryland to steal from people, even Florida. Their daughter's 34 years old, so don't think it's a cute little 10-year-old. 
So they did interstate transportation of stolen property. $7 million. Now, there was a cooperating witness who could basically help bring them down that bought the stolen items. And it included everything from Furby robotic toys to coffee to steak knives. They sold more than $690,000 of merchandise through eBay. Like, that's almost such a big number in shoplifting that you almost want to stop and applaud them. Like $10 a year, you're a bad person, bad person. But $7 million? It's almost like how many people Paul Pot killed versus, you know, Charles Manson. It gets to a point where, like, that's almost an impressive number. Because it, it's unfathomable. It's tough to put your head around. Of course, it's, it's grotesque and horrible. But it's unfathomable. And that's one of the things that ties into Wall Street. People don't realize how much money you need in retirement and how little Social Security is. It's almost unfathomable when I tell you that you're going to need a million plus dollars in retirement. And probably more, depending on how old you are. It's unfathomable. It's tough to think, okay, one day I'm going to retire. One day I'm going to need to live off what I've saved. Please save more than you are. Taking a quick look at the markets at this point in time. Um, we have an interesting day. The Crimean Parliament votes to join the Russian Federation and set a referendum on the matter within 10 days. Bank of England and European Central Bank, they made no monetary policy changes. Financials are doing well, healthcare, industrials, and materials. Um, again, be a patient investor. Look for opportunities. I still think this is a good year for financials, especially on any weakness. You're seeing the SP 500 up 7, the Dow up 77, the NASDAQ up 7. Do I think the market should be hitting 52 week highs every day? No. Are we? Kind of. Uh, I don't believe in worst case scenarios. I don't believe in best case scenarios. I, I kind of work in the between. Other big stories of note today? What are the other big stories of note today? Pandora is an issue on their monthly metrics. Pandora, I think, eventually gets acquired. I don't think that's a big shocker. So if Facebook acquired WhatsApp for 450 million users, what are the 70 million plus users of Pandora worth? It's a question. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. We'll bring you news and analysis powered by like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black. Sometimes I sit in for CFP Chad Burton, new focus on wealth. Sometimes he contributes into my show. There's a definitive crossover thing that happens. I'm not big on the crossover television show angles. But on radio it makes sense. He's a financial planner. I'm not. I am an economist. No, I'm not an economist. I look at the economy 
I look at investing. I look at trends. I look at stories and try to pull some information out of them for you. For instance, Jeremy Siegel, he's one of the most famous market bulls. He basically recently said, I see the Dow Jones Industrial Average rise in 18,000. But he also brought up some things that are problematic. I love those things that are problematic because it teaches us what to look for. Now, I used to be a registered investment advisor. I used to manage oogles and oogles of money. I kind of got into the area that I really wanted to help people see how to invest properly. Most people get greedy. Most people get fearful. Those are the, that's step one, kill greed to kill fear. Step two is something along the lines of stop saying things like this is rigged because we just hit all-time record highs and... Well, we just hit all-time record highs. If it's rigged, we wouldn't be hitting all-time record highs. Every year. Most years. Seven out of ten years. Jeremy Siegel, one of the most famous market bulls. So I come to his opinion knowing that he's slanted to growth. He's a Wharton professor of finance. And he said, the two things that concern me the most is a potential lack of slack in the labor force and commodity prices. If I saw commodities really increasing in price, I mean, we've had a little bump in oil, he said. But we also know why we had that. It was a threat of war. It was a threat of shutoffs and supply and embargoes against Russia. But anything that sparks any inflation at all is a serious concern. So his biggest fear is inflation. My biggest fear is inflation. To me, I, if Jason Voorhees or Freddy Krueger were to jump through the door... And go, ah, <laughs> I gotcha. And there's another person in the room. I'm pushing that person down and I'm running. I don't have fears of, of death. I don't have fears of, you know, serial killers. Like, if they're going to get me, they're going to get me. I've long ago given up on the thought that I'm going to be able to outrun, you know, a worst-case scenario. So I'm not fearful of that. But inflation is something I fear. What is inflation? Well, you know, wage inflation, right? Where... $4 an hour more means a lot to you. Your boss says, Rob, you've done a great job. I'm going to increase you from minimum wage to $9. I'm like, uh, actually, isn't that the state that's doing that? It's kind of, yeah. But it's still wage inflation. Same thing could be said for, like, let's talk about another type of inflation. How about Coca-Cola? So wage inflation's good for you, but it's bad for the employer, right? Kind of, maybe, unless you stick around and don't leave. Some people think Costco's a great employer because they pay more than minimum wage, and thus people feel like, hey, I'm sticking around here because I know other jobs that are entry-level jobs don't pay minimum or pay minimum wage, don't pay above minimum wage. Okay, Coca-Cola. There's some inflation. When I was a young boy, I think it was 25 cents to drink that sugar water, and now you can see it anywhere between a buck fifty and two bucks. I haven't seen it more except for on extreme vacations. Um, so it's con- it's gone up. Have my wages gone up since I was a little boy? Sure. Have they gone up in comparable amount of Coca-Cola price increases? Probably not. There's a story out of San Francisco about rental inflation and wage and um, yeah, rental inflation, lease inflation. Being a landlord's a good thing. Now let me tell you why it's a really good thing in the Bay Area. Is you've got San Jose, big city. You've got San Francisco, big city. You've got Cupertino. You've got Palo Alto, where super uber wages are created. 
whether it's the attorneys servicing those businesses or whether it's the dot-com businesses you know, kicking out stock options worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. So Peninsula Real Estate, being close to work, is, is valuable. I once bought a home that was five minutes from work because I didn't want to travel. That's a big you know, concern for Americans. Now, like for instance, I saw a recent car buying survey that said Americans want technology. 40% of Americans want technology in their cars more so than they want a fast car or a well-handling car. So Peninsula real estate has inflated above inflation because there's, we live in an earthquake country. We don't really build super tall buildings. We, we, it's tough to build them. There's an environmentalist who's like, you can't possibly build a super tall building in Marin because the, the Egyptian beetle. We found one Egyptian beetle in a 10-mile square radius that if you were to destroy his habitat, well, it would be bad. Now, again, I am wildly boiling this down to ridiculousness. But I like Oakland real estate right now almost as much as I like San Mateo real estate, San Jose or San Francisco. San Francisco has resorted to micro-apartments to grow units. Oakland still has some space. And I know it's like, that's crazy, but it's still close enough to work that people can get to and from big areas of commerce. And then you got the side of the play where companies like Eventbrite, who have seen their, their leases go up 300%, 200% in three years, where they can't really afford to stay in that location or at some point in time, they're going to have to talk to their shareholders. They're going to have to talk to their investors and say, look, do you mind if we move somewhere cheaper? And at that point in time, if enough people do it, the supply in expensive areas will rise as the demand wanes and looks elsewhere for lower-cost supply. And that can create the, the deflation in prices that landlords don't ever want a place unrented. But this is such a problem I see that in the next 20 years... I think you can buy real estate almost anywhere within five miles, okay, 10 miles of the peninsula, maybe even 15 miles of the peninsula. So you can't go all the way out to Walnut Creek and expect real estate to go up, 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 because when you're out at Walnut Creek, there's a lot of land. If you ever drive through Sacramento, there's a lot of land. So you've got to look at things and understand that some inflation's good, some infl- deflation, some inflation's good. But rampant inflation and cost, ultimately, unless your wages are going up, is a nightmare. So that's kind of my angle that one of the things I really want to show you about is you can't keep money in cash because cash at a bank will get you less than one-tenth of one percent. I responded to an email yesterday, rob at robblack.com, from someone who had $80,000 in cash. And he was 27 years old. He had no investments. He did have some student debt, some of it at 6.5% and some of it at 3 I'll say at least with that $70,000, consider paying off the, the over 6% debt. You always pay off debt over 8%, but at least, if you're going to earn one-tenth of a 1%, earn 6% by paying off the student debt. Um, again, would I prefer that he service that student debt while investing at the same time? Yes. I think that's a very important concept for people to grasp, is that debt's okay, as long as you can service it. The whole idea that a bank's willing to give me $800,000 to buy a house and it doesn't readjust for inflation, holy mackerel. I own a home in the peninsula. I'm never selling it. 
because the argument that I'm bringing up about rents, supply, demand, proximity to jobs. Anyhow, I think you get the idea where I'm coming from. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. Calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. You can always find me on YouTube. I do work on television. I post on YouTube, Rob Black Show. It's Rob Black Show. They're digestible nuggets that should help you, I believe. Uh, financial tidbits. Uh, I also, you know, broadcast throughout Twitter. You can find that at Rob Black Show. You can find me on Facebook group page or Facebook fan page, Cron4 Rob Black. It's Cron4 Rob Black. My group page is kind of a smaller club that's tied towards, uh, I would call them blackheads, fanatics of the show. Um, I've been doing this 16, 17 years, so I certainly um, appreciate all the love. But you can find the group page at I Hate Rob Black, which I kind of find interesting. I want to sell T-shirts at some point in my life that has a young picture of me feeding a goat with a I Hate Rob Black emblem on top of it, because that just works for me. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. We have a market that's at record highs. That's worthy of note. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. Let's welcome in CFP Chad Burton. Let's talk a little loaded variable annuities, annuities in general. Uh, these are products that are sold to people. They, they preach safety. They preach protection. Uh, they tend to say you don't have to invest in the crazy stock market. What are your thoughts on loaded variable annuities? Most of the promises are smoke and mirrors. So people buy these things because they talk about guarantees of 5 or 6%. So they think their principal is guaranteed. And it's not the case. It's an income for life guarantee. And because of balanced portfolio, even over this last What's decade, the difference? What's the difference? Well, a principal guarantee means if you have, you know, 6% guarantee in 10 years, if you want to cash out and the market's fallen 20%, you're going to have your original investment plus a 6% return. You can cash in a check and walk away with your money. Okay. That's not the case. If you want the guarantees that come with a variable annuity, you have to create an income stream at retirement. And so you don't, it's, it's not walk away money, it's income for life money, all right? Number two, you're paying for that guarantee. The fees inside those variable annuities are often, you know, one and a half to two percent just for the insurance cost of the fee plus the internal cost of the funds that you're investing in. So loaded variable annuities often have fees of about three percent a year. Okay. Um, which is a significant hit to your overall portfolio in the long run. Now, I use a no-load variable annuity for a portion of my bond investments, right? but only a small portion. 
having all of the money in there is going to cost you a lot of principal in the long run and your heirs a lot of money when you pass away. So variable annuities, the problem with them is that, you know, they're sold to people. They say, here's this great investment. I'll help you manage the money. And here's these income guarantees or death benefit guarantees. You pay for the guarantee. The person sells it to you and they disappear because they've got to go find the next you to sell to. They make all their money up front. Right. And then you're stuck in the deal for six to ten years. So you're stuck in a deal. And mathematically, you know, if you give them $100,000, they're guaranteeing that they'll give you 6000 They're guaranteeing that income. It's not what they're guaranteeing. They're not, it's not a principal guarantee. It's an income for life starting at age, say, well, that's, 65. Okay, and that income is 6% of 100000 Yes. So they're guaranteeing 6000 Right. Okay, that's the basic. I'm, I'm trying yeah. to get people all on the same page with this concept. Um, what have you got in annuity? Do you call the insurance company and say, I, I need this explained to me in human terms? What's your first step to determine if you keep it or don't keep it? Uh, well, the first one is, when did you buy it, and are there surrender charges? So you're getting your statement, and they say, here's your account value, and here's your surrender value. Um, a lot of times, if you bought one, unfortunately, you're going to have to stay in it until the surrender charges go away. Okay. And then you're free to move it. So if there's a gain in the contract, um, you can do a 1035 exchange to a no-load version and avoid paying taxes on the gain. If it's an IRA, then you can do whatever you want. You can just transfer it to another IRA or, or whatever there may be. But if there's a gain, you have to realize that. Um, let's say you took taxable dollars and you invested in an annuity, variable annuity, and you've lost money in it. Well, if you cash it out, there's a way to write off the loss as a miscellaneous itemized deduction, but there's AMT tax issues there that you have to talk to your tax advisor about. But a lot of times you just have to look at your statement, say oh, there's surrender charges, and when did those go away? And as soon as they go away, or maybe even a year early as they decline in value, it might be an issue of you might want to leave two years early because it's a pay-if-you-stay or a pay-if-you-go type of a scenario. These are really high. But there's all sorts of no-load variable annuities that you could 1035 exchange to without, you know, and then it's totally liquid, 100% liquid. Where can you find these annuities that you would want to transfer into? Because my general concept is I don't like working with other human beings on financial products right. when it comes to insurance and insur- annuities are insurance. So therefore I don't want to work with a human. I want to work with a company like uh, USAA. Do they do annuities? Does Yeah. I mean, the, but the only reason in my opinion to be in a variable annuity, a no load variable annuity is for a, a bond like guarantee income for life. And okay. so uh, the, the ones that are out there, you can go to emeritusdirect.com, Vanguard, has one, okay. and those are really the ones that are, are decent. And I, in fact, you know, they're changing though because they change how they charge on the the fees. So uh, a lot of times people really can't just do it on their own. It's a, it's the most confusing financial product that's out there. Contact you, or is that not something you want people doing? Oh yeah, I mean, if people you know have an annuity as part of their overall portfolio and they're worried about it and they think they got sold a you know basically a pile of garbage and they want some help on you know should I stay? Should I go? What are the no-load options out there? By all means, yeah. Chat at chatburton.com if you want to shoot me a scenario. That's something we should start a business on, pileofgarbage.com. Pileofgarbageannuities.com. So, Meritas, you brought up that name. I don't think that's a name that most people are familiar with. They're the no-load insurance pioneer. Really? Yeah, so you can even get permanent life insurance through a company like that um, that's, you know, no-load. So if you're in this life insurance policy for three years and you don't like it anymore, you don't need it anymore, you can get out your cash value without surrender charges. You know, when you bring up Pioneer, I think of the Go West young man and the Pioneers and things along those lines. I figure I'm pretty pleased that I was born when I was born because if I was a Pioneer, I would have been the the first guy shot with the arrow. Mm. You know how the Pioneers are all in the stagecoaches and they're all, you know, uh, in their covered wagons? 
and then a, an arrow comes over the horizon and it hits someone. And then everybody knows to hide after exactly. after you got hit. I'm going to be the puffy target that gets deflated. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I got in the business almost 20 years ago, and my you know my grandfather was selling annuities at banks for years. Back then, capital gains were at 27%. So annuities were a great next bet after your IRAs. Roths weren't around yet. And if we see an increase in capital gains tax, annuities will become attractive again and if they go up over 25%. That's CFP Chad Burton. CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black. Chad and I do a lot of events around town. We enjoy doing these. I particularly. Um, it's very refreshing to get to meet the listeners and the viewers for my radio and television work. You can find out more about events that I do at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. We've got one coming up in March, late March on retirement planning. You can sign up for the event at robblack.com. College grads taking high school grads' jobs under age 30. That's not healthy for our economy. Rob Black sitting in for Forks Rob Black. AM Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. I do the show in the mornings from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. Make sure you tell friends Rob Black and your money. I sit in for CFP Chad Burton on his show, New Focus on Wealth, from 1 to 2 here on KDOW. Make sure you tell friends. Um. I'm a studier of the markets. I've been an investment advisor. I ran millions and millions and millions of dollars um, and millions and millions. And now I'm kind of more of a sit back, study the economy, study strategies, study, you know, opportunities. For instance, here's an opportunity. And you always need to consult broker advisor for taking action on any stocks I ever mention, okay? But the U.S. is increasing pressure on GM over long delay in the auto recall. GM is one of the big losers in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. In a year the Dow's up, GM's down. Right there, I see some value. Just, again, is it, is it perceived? Yes. Is it realized? No. But that's an opportunity. So a federal probe into why GM took nearly 10 years to recall cars, potentially deadly defect, heated up as safety regulators demanded the automaker answer 107 questions on its handling of a faulty ignition. Safety agency told GM to respond by April 3rd or face fines as much as $7,000 a day in penalties. $7,000 a day. Did I just get bit by a gnat? Maybe. 
The automaker faces up to $35 million fine if the agency determines it took too long to commence the recall after the defect was identified. 13 deaths were linked to it, whether it was in the Chevy Cobalt, the Pontiac G5, the Solstice, the Saturn Ion, and Sky Models. So, let's repeat that big number of what a fine could look like. $35 million. That's not very much. So to me, if the headline is, and this is horrible, if the headline is, people died in car, GM knew, uh, the penalty is just not that bad. And that's the worst case scenario that you can come up with. And they have insurance to cover angles like this. So go with me on that. That sometimes headlines create buying opportunities in stocks. There's a disconnect. For instance, there's a lovely place in America called Hilton. Hilton Head, North Carolina. And there's some lovely beaches off the coast of North Carolina. And every now and then a hurricane will come and a hurricane will come along and just destroy various parts of the Carolinas. Hurricane headline will be something along the lines of, you know, hurricane destroys Long Island. That's a great time to buy is when the headline risk is horrible. Or let me give you even a more relative one for those of you who live in California. The best time to buy real estate was back in 1989, the day after the massive earthquake. Why is that? Give me, give me a second. It's because home values decreased and you know supply went up and people said, I'm moving out of here. So when the headlines are worse, that's when you get your most potential upside. So New Orleans, do you wish you bought after Hurricane Katrina? Sure. Are you considered a poacher or are you considered somebody evil? Yeah, maybe. Um, so, by the way, I meant to, when I said health time, I meant to say the Outer Banks. The Outer Banks literally are not on land. And it's pretty scary when a hurricane hits, but it creates a buying opportunity. So if you want a beach house, and the idea is that hurricanes probably won't hit the same location, but every 10, 20, 30 years, sometimes your buying opportunities are after disasters. And it's opportunistic, yes, but that's somehow sometimes how you get some of the risk out of what you're investing in. Again, back to the GM story, U.S. increases pressure on GM over long delay in auto recall. Stock is underperforming the, SP, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Dividend's still there. I potentially see that headline risk as creating opportunity. Now, most people look at headline risk as, uh-oh. In 2001, on 9-11, the markets sold off basically throughout September, right? Terrorism hits the United States. It was the most horrific day to be a broadcaster. I did a morning radio show from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. that I had to stay on the air that day because everything happened East Coast time, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And we were trying to figure it out up until about 1 o'clock. So I stayed on the air for seven total hours. Um, My studio was within two miles of the Pentagon. And one of the things that I kept saying was, this is going to be bad on the markets, but it's also going to be buying opportunity. So let it sell off, 
but have a little cash and go for it. Accumulate during opportunities. Now, again, the GM story, I'm not going to beat this to a pulp. But that's very interesting to me. When Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers fell apart, all banks fell apart. And last year they were the leading sector. They've been leading the markets pretty aggressively now for two to three years. Bad news creates opportunities. Sometimes it takes more than a year or a month or a day to realize that opportunity. But it's out there. Apple recently named a new CFO. And what's interesting about that is their old CFO had been with the company for 18 years. And succeeding Peter Oppenheimer as finance chief, it probably creates an opportunity where you have a shareholder-friendly angle. Why is that? Apple, as they expanded under uh, Peter Oppenheimer, you know, went from hundreds of billions of dollars in revenues to hundreds of billions of dollars in revenues. Steve Jobs had a very conservative angle with finance. Now, the person who's replacing Peter Oppenheimer is a guy named uh, Luca Maestri, and he's a 50-year-old native of Italy. Previously, he had a two-year stint at Xerox. During that time, he increased shareholder purchases aggressively and buybacks aggressively. So his history is that of shareholder friendliness. Now, Apple is expanding aggressively into Asia. So some of the money that needs to be repatriated back to the United States to give shareholders dividends aren't going to happen. Because Apple's saying, okay, our growth opportunities in Asia more so than the U.S. As far as hiring people, as far as getting closer to the manufacturers of the products. So right now, Apple plans to repurchase up to $60 billion of its own shares, return a total of $100 billion, including dividends, to shareholders through 2015. Last month, Tim Cook said the company had bought more than $40 billion of its own shares. So they still have $20 billion left. And they said, you know, we're going to give you an update by the end of April. So here we are in March, and we know that we've got about a month, month and a half to see what they're going to come up with. We know that they have oodles and oodles and oodles of cash. Apple's access to cash is not a problem. They even borrowed some at incredibly low prices, probably the lowest prices ever issued to corporations, during a time where you just saw a massive dip. I mean, it was almost perfectly executed. Now, Mr. Maestri, he also brings overseas experience. He worked with GM for 20 years, culminating his position finance chief in European operations. So I think he's a pretty smart hire to combine growth of overseas markets with the income that a lot of Americans want for holding their shares of Apple while they come up with new products. Basically, Apple's been hamstrung because 80% of its cash is held overseas, and Apple would have to pay taxes to bring it back to the United States. Our government doesn't really feel inclined at this point in time to have a tax amnesty. So Apple's going to do something that our government probably doesn't want them to do. Invest in foreign markets, invest in foreign employees. It's interesting to watch, right? Who knew that a CFO could be so damn sexy? You know, as far as the conversation goes, I... I don't know. Anyhow, you can always find me and some of these arguments that I make at robblack.com. It's robblack.com Facebook fan page. Um, Cron4 Rob Black. It's Cron4 Rob Black. I do a lot of television work. You can get a stream of the show or a podcast of the show. Stream of the show. Podcast of the show. Both. 
at kdow.biz. It's kdow.biz. Tell friends about it. Our app, our KDOW app, you can listen to the show. Um, I think we're the best financial business station in the nation. Um, I think we give you end-to-end programming that is unique. Some of it's better than others, but again, some of it's more applicable to others. So it really depends on where you are. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. You can always email me, rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. Cerebus, they're a big capital management company. They're trying to sell up a deal with Safeway. That's a company that had a lot of cash on their balance sheet, and they're a company that's kind of played out. Now, Kroger is interested in buying Safeway. Cerebus already owns Albertsons, and they're looking to pair them together. Safeway is the second largest grocery chain in America. It's interesting how these, not drug companies, but food companies, grocery companies, are treating their future. You know, Kroger owns 19% of the market. Safeway owns 9% of the market. Albertson owns 3.8% of the market. So Safeway wants to get, well, Kroger wants to get a little bit bigger. Safeway to Albertsons gets them to be a bigger number two. It's an industry that's consolidating because there's not a lot of profits or margins left in it. You're listening to me, Rob Black. Find me online at robblack.com. If you need insurance like home, automobile, life, or commercial, or maybe you need a financial planner, get it. Stocks are hot. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So as an investor in the 21st century, it's important to understand that what used to be growth will become growth and income, and what used to be a little bit of growth and income will become income. It's just the way of things. The hypergrowth is probably being consumed by people under 40. There's some angles on this that are important in that we as investors sometimes go back to what used to work. And that's not a good thing to do in the world of 21st century investing. Why is that? Again, companies mature. It's really tough to grow a company from $100 billion in revenue to $200 billion. Now, this market's pretty interesting. Google has a ton of earnings and a lot of growth. Apple's got a ton of earnings and some growth. Netflix has a ton of revenue growth and okay earnings. What are the, Tesla's got some great ideas, concepts, revenue, and not a lot of earnings. So you have to learn how to classify companies, just like you have to classify information. Today I have to go to the gym and work out. That's important to me. That's a priority. I'm above the age of 40, and once you hit above 40, it's, it's time to make sure your ticker's as healthy as it could be. 
So as this market changes, you have to like see where the growth is and where it's not and, and adjust accordingly. People under the age of 40 are driving things that are hyper-growth, like Netflix and Amazon. Um, the grocery stores, the organic grocery stores, have had a big push, whether it be in Chipotle at the quick service restaurant where you don't have to tip. You can tip, but you don't have to tip. And people under the age of 40, they kind of like not having to tip. And they kind of like the fresh and organic angle. So restaurants that popped up in my lifetime, like Chili's, meh. You know, you're not going to get the best service, but you still are expected to tip 15%. And when I say you're not going to get the best service, you're not getting a seasoned 30-year waiter kind of thing, you know? You're typically getting a high school slash college kid who is using this as a bridge. Again, my apologize. I apologize to the Chile employees. Some of the growth that's happening right now should be noted in apps. The world of apps on the cell phone and on the tablet, it's egregious how much money companies like Apple make for someone else developing a product and then us consuming it. Whether it's Flappy Birds, Angry Birds, Apple gets a cut of it. So are they a game developer? Hell yeah, they're a game developer. Do you think of them as a game developer? You don't. Now, Oscar Mayer has hit the pinnacle of technological innovation, and I refer to this as one of the signs of the impending apocalypse, where it may be time to go out and get a shotgun. Oscar Mayer created a device that turns your iPhone into a bacon-scented alarm clock. The meat producer said it's created a small device that, when plugged into your headphone jack, emits the sound and smell of sizzling bacon on demand. Now, we all love bacon, and bacon is all that in a bucket of chicken. But people can now set their alarm clock inside an Oscar Mayer-created mobile app to wake up to the smell of bacon. Love it. Since the wake-up-and-smell-the-bacon device won't be sold in stores, the only way to receive one of the limited number of devices to fill out an application at, get this, wakeupandsmellthebacon.com. Applicants who are not chosen to receive the device will still be able to download an iPhone app that allows them to set an alarm clock to the sound of the sizzling pan, but without the smell of bacon. Now, I fear that anything that plugs in your iPhone that emits the smell of bacon probably causes cancer as well, but I'm not going to even go there. This is genius marketing and advertising, more so than product that we absolutely must have. But bacon sent a mobile device to market, giving bacon aficionados a new reason to welcome their morning alarm clocks. Pretty funny. So here's the gift that is the best gag gift for the year. I'd go to wakeupandsmellthebacon.com to see if I could win it. Because uh, if I win that lottery, it's the best gag gift of the year. 800-516-1220. It's wakeupandsmellthebacon.com. Again, that's how you have to start thinking of things. Apple and Google, their stores, their Play Store and their, their iTunes Store, very, very, very powerful platforms on the iPhone and on the tablets, Right. Now, how about the television? The television is going to be the next big area that there's going to be a war over. And what's interesting is who's going to have the advantage? Is it the TV makers? Who's the top TV maker right now? It's Samsung. But how about a company like Best Buy, who still sells a lot of TVs, and they've got Vizio TVs. They bought the brand. Apple doesn't have the TV. Putting the dongle and putting the you know the box adapter to it, some people like, some people don't like. Having it built in, you know, I got one of the first Samsung TVs that had internet to it, and it, it stunk. But now it's pretty good. That's one of the things that's going to be in the new iPhone 6 is better Wi-Fi. So Apple's purchasing chips 
to make sure the, the Wi-Fi is even better and better and better. So, um, yeah, this is stuff that we're looking at. Today, a big story was the Crimean Parliament votes with 10 days to decide whether to join the Russian Federation. That story is continuing to be an issue out there. Bank of England and European Central Banks made no big monetary policy changes. That's a big story out there because low cost of money has been driving world economies and world markets. Energy, financials, industrials, all displaying very solid gains, of which group I like the most, financials. Healthcare is in there as well. I like the HMOs, the PPOs, enormously for the long-term patient investor because healthcare spending has been going a little bit on the sideways level, but the cost of healthcare has been going through the roof, according to inflationary numbers. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find me at Twitter, Rob Black Show. You can find me at Facebook, cron 4 Rob Black. I've got a newsletter that's free that I send out typically every four to six weeks um, with two or three stock ideas, two or three market ideas. You can sign up for it at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. My YouTube channel is Rob Black Show. That's Rob Black Show. Let's take a break here. Come back, reconvene soon. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob Black. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.